is so good all the time. He is always doing good things. We don't always recognize it. You know, God's provision many times is right in front of our eyes, and we just don't recognize it. Remember when Jesus asked the disciples what they had so that they could feed the thousands of people that were, were listening to his teaching, and they said, we don't have anything but. They had already discounted what God had made provision of because they couldn't see how it would work. But understand, God does the most with the smallest things. And, and many times we, we are in battles, we're in struggles in our daily lives, and we forget and we don't recognize what God has done, what he's doing. And, and we are tempted to face what we're dealing with in our own strength, our own ability, our own resources. And we can do that, but it won't turn out well. It's when we realize that we're not in this alone. You know, as a Christian, you are never alone. You may not be around other people, but there is someone that's with you all the time. And who is that? God. Yeah, God, the Spirit of God. Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to send another one just like me. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll not leave you orphans. He said, you're never going to be alone. You're never going to be without me. Because when he said, I'll send another one, a comforter, that one was, it means one of the same exact kind and quality, but a, another in number. So Holy Spirit comes to reside in us and brings to us the Father and the Son. What an amazing thing that we have God living in us, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit of God that hovered over the face of the, the, the waters when creation was going on. He lives in us. Why would we ever freak out about anything we, we face? Because when we have that type of wisdom, that type of power, that type of ability in the person of the Holy Spirit living in us, we don't have to be afraid of anything. As long as we recognize and rely on God to guide us and govern us. And when we do, we won't be overwhelmed will be overwhelmingly more than conquerors, like the Bible tells us. And we've been learning about the words of Jesus the night that, that he was going to the Garden of Gethsemane and his teaching on the vineyard and bearing fruit and how important fruit is. But this is the beginning of a teaching that he does for a number of chapters. It's an amazing thing when we look at this, that he pauses between the upper room in Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives, and he is going in the Kidron Valley, and he's beginning to teach his disciples some of the most important things they need to hear before he leaves earth, before he dies before their eyes. And then they see him again after he's resurrected. And, and this is the first beginning of the teachings. But it's very important that we understand, because he's preparing them for a time that he's not going to be with them. 
to be able to carry out what he has for them to change the world. And God has for you and me to change the world. But the beginning of changing the world, and it always has to happen this way, it has to happen in us before it happens around us. And that's why when Jesus was teaching these things, he, he began to teach about what has to happen in us. And there are three stages in this, and, and we've looked at two, and we're starting to really dig into the third stage. Uh, this is about fruit bearing, and it's, uh, it's, it is a partnership with God that develops into a friendship with God, but there's still that partnership because we can't do it without God, and God won't do it without us. And so he has for us to begin to clear a space for him. When we get saved, the Bible says we become a new creation in Christ. What actually happens is we physically don't change. You can look in the mirror the moment after you receive Christ as your Lord and you look the same. There are a lot of thoughts and, and attitudes and actions that kind of carry over too. But who we really are, we are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And that which is spirit, our spirit, who we really are, that's what changes. We become alive to God for the first time ever in our existence. Because before that, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Sin separated us from God. And all of a sudden, we become alive to God and we have the potential. Our, our potential is able to be fulfilled for the first time ever in all of our life because we're connected to the one that created us, who has a plan for us that's for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. And yet... There are things that hinder us. And we all know that. Even Paul knew it. In Romans chapter 7, Paul says, The things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to deliver me? And then he begins to write about the Spirit of God. The same Spirit of God that lives in you and me as believers in Jesus Christ. This is not a self-help this is a God helps and we, we cooperate with his help. And that's what we've been learning. We've been learning the first two, two stages in fruit bearing, going from no fruit to fruit. God chastens us. He lifts us. He realigns us. He disciplines us to learn about this new kingdom that we've become a part of that we never understood and maybe never even realized but all of a sudden, there's a whole new and living way we're to walk in, and we find out about it through the Word of God, and we're empowered to walk it out by the Spirit of God. But the first thing that God begins to deal with in our life, because God loves us so much, is sin. Stage one is God pointing out still active sin, because when we get saved, we can still sin, can't we? That was weak. Yeah, we know. We know we can sin. And, and yet we don't want to. Because if, if we know what the results of sin are, it's death. Who wants death? If I see any hands go up, I want to pray for you. But we don't want death. We don't want death in our life. We want life. We want life and life more abundant. That's why we receive Jesus as Lord. And yet death is still working in our lives because sin's still working in our lives. And God loves us too much to let that just go on because he doesn't want us destroyed by the sin that has been part of the past and he doesn't want it to be part of your future or your present. So he begins to point out that area of sin. And, and 
we have to cooperate. He initiates, we cooperate. He makes us aware, this needs to go. This is sin. This sin hinders my flow in your life. This sin hinders my love in your life. This sin hinders, because the Bible tells us sin hides his face from us. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You know, that's, that's where we have, to, we have to realize sin hinders what God wants to do. And that's why we have to choose to say no to sin. He points it out. We cooperate and say, no, I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to submit to God. And James says, and then you can resist the enemy and he'll flee. So he begins with removing active sin in our life, still in our life. Then the second stage, from fruit to more fruit, it's dealing with the things that divide our life, divide our attention, our faithfulness, our focus, our allegiance to God, and, and not necessarily bad things. Sometimes really what we think are good things. But he begins to prune, cut away things that are Drawing away our allegiance and our attention and our effectiveness being connected to God. Both of these stages, God initiates, but we have to cooperate. God will never remove it from us. We have to choose to turn it over, to walk away from it. He'll be there to empower us, but we have to choose to continue to do that. And so these first two stages... God initiates, we cooperate. It's dealing with sin and it's dealing with self because we in ourself, ourself doesn't always know what's right or good or best. We think we do. That's where it says in Proverbs in two places. There's a way that seems right or good unto man whose end is the way of death. And anything other than God's will is not best. And I believe every one of us innately wants God's best because we know there's nothing that will come near to being as amazing as God's best. And that's what God always gives. And that's why God has for our lives to have this act of sin removed and have the self that, that draws us away sometimes from the best that God has. We need to submit that self to God. We need to actually... A lot of the desires and things that we've had that carried over from our former life before Christ that are, are, are not necessarily sin, but they're not necessarily drawing us close to God. They, they may be good things. They may be neutral things. But there are times in our life God's going to say, that needs to go so that I can, can occupy that space, that time. Have that for me. And it's not because God is an egomaniac and he wants more for him. He wants more for you, but the way God gets more to you and me is through him. More of him. And that's what John the Baptist said. He must increase that I must decrease. More of him, less of us. Because in essence, the, the scripture says that the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. And the glory of God comes from Christ in us. Christ in us is the hope of glory. The more Jesus is allowed, the more God is allowed, the more the word of God is allowed to dwell richly in us and affect and influence our lives so that we're living in line with God, 
in step with God, they're going to be seeing Christ in you. They're not going to know it. They're going to say, that's Bob, that's Linda, that's Jeff. But Bob, Linda, and Jeff know that's Christ because that's not who I was. But that's what God is able to do in a vessel that's flawed and frail and fragile and even fails. Because God's not looking for perfection. Because he knows none of us can give it. But God is working in us to take us from glory to glory. And so we, we've looked at these, and I'm just going to quickly read verse 1 through 3 in, in John chapter 15, just to remind you of what Jesus said. He said, I'm the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. These are the first two stages we were talking about. That it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then we get to the third stage, the third aspect of what causes fruit to develop. Because we go from no fruit to fruit, that's one level. And that's usually dealing with sin. But then we go from fruit to more fruit. That's dealing with the things that are dividing our lives and, and hindering the flow of God. And then we get to the place where it says in verse 4 and 5, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears what? Much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Bears much fruit. This, this, these terms, these words, again, we know that the Bible tells us not just to read the Bible, but study. Study to show yourself approved. A workman, and the, and the scripture says, that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so right here, when you dig into this, when it says much fruit, it's talking about maximum production. Your maximum potential. Now, I don't know about you, but I know when we look at whether they're musicians or athletes, or scientists. When you get to the highest level, they want the maximum production. They want to be absolutely at their best. And I want you to know that's what God wants for you. God wants you to be at your best, but the only way to be at your best is by Him. It's not about us trying harder. See, this is the thing that trips us up so often. We're trying and trying and trying, and we fall down. Right? And we get back up and there's no, you know what? The Bible tells us though a righteous man falls seven times he arises. This is a righteous man. You're going to get tripped up. The enemy is going to trip you up. He's going to ensnare you. But that's where in our humility we turn to God and say, God, I confess this sin. I got tripped up. I got ensnared. I got tempted. I got drawn away. Please forgive me. And you know what? God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. He puts it in the sea of forgetfulness. He doesn't remember it. So if you're reminded of it, it's not God. It's the enemy who's the accuser of the brethren. But right there, we've got to realize that this is an ongoing process. God is always working in the areas where sin has gotten in where self has gotten a place over God. And we have to abide. We have to choose to connect with God. When we abide with God, 
The Bible says, abide in who? Me. Jesus said, abide in me. And then I'll abide in you. Who makes the first move? We do. In this moment, at this stage, we initiate, God participates. We initiate this. We get moving towards God. We don't let anything keep us from going towards God. Close your eyes for a second. I want to ask you a question. Is there anything that you're aware of that's hindering you from moving towards God? You know, David, the psalmist, he said, search me and show me if there's anything in me that's hindering you from having your way. In this moment right now, just be still. Father, I ask you to help us if there's something that we need to become aware of. Make us aware of, of what might be hindering. It may not be sin. It may be something good. It may be something neutral. But Father, help us because we want to move towards you. Thank you, Lord, that we can do this anytime, anywhere. Go ahead and open up your eyes. If God spoke something to you, take note of it. Be aware of it. I would encourage you to write it down because, you know, there are a lot of things that come at us so, so quickly and so often that we tend to forget some things. Well, maybe you don't. I tend to forget some things these days. And so I've got to write a lot of things down. But I'll tell you what we need to remember. We need to remember above anything else is what God is revealing to us. And that's why right now I just want to pray. So if you bow your heads, Heavenly Father, we know you're here. You said we're two or more gathered. You're there. We thank you for your spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We thank you for your word that is truth that sets free. And Father, today, in the abundance of words that are being spoken, help us to know what is the rhema word you have for us. Each of us individually, you have a specific understanding that we need to come away from here with today. Help us become aware of it, that we can hide it in our hearts, that we won't miss the mark that you have for us. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So abiding in him, abide in him, and then he'll abide. We move towards him. We read a scripture last week, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. God is as close to you as you've allowed him to be because of what you've chosen to put between you and him. You mean there's something between me and God? Yeah, whatever we choose to put between us and God. What's more important? What's more valuable? What's more essential in our lives than God? Because those are the things that are hindering God from having his way, being able to flood our lives with life, with joy, with peace with love, with hope. Because he will not violate our choices. Where we set something, God will not remove it if we set it there. And so we have to, we have, to have his help because sometimes we don't even, we're not even aware of what's hindering him, what we've elevated to a place that's more important or more critical or more essential in our lives because, man, there are so many things every day that's trying to crawl up that scale to get at the pinnacle of what's important in your life. And there's only one that can be there and your life be in order. And that's God. 
And that's why we have to fight. There's a, there's a, a current in this world that's pulling us. And the pull is away from God. And we've got to go against the current of the world. Which is going to cause you and me to be peculiar people. But that's what we're called to be. And, and so we're to abide. We're supposed to be connected. We're supposed to move towards God against all the forces pulling us away. All the things, all the issues, all the excitement, all the things that, that want us to be drawn away. We need to make sure that we determine we're moving towards God. And we're connecting with God. When it says abide, that word abide means to stay in the same place, state, or relationship. It's to continue to dwell, endure, and remain. To stand firm, steadfast, uh, not depart. It means to make a home. Man, there's, there's such a difference between a home and a house. And that's what God wants. God wants us to, to feel at home with him. Man, we shouldn't feel at home in this world. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. And if we're living for what this world has to offer, man, we are so far out of alignment. If we're trying to, you know, I saw the bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys wins. No, he who dies with the most toys dies. There's no winning in that. The only way you and I win is God. I don't want more toys. I don't want more stuff. What I want is I want more of God. And I need more of God. And you need me to have more of God. And I need you to have more of God. This world needs us to be more connected to God. More relating to God than anything else. As much as we relate and, and get on the internet. And it's, the internet can be used for bad or good. But I'll tell you, there is no bad in God. That's why if we're going to check something first, check God. Check in with God. Don't, don't go on, you know, WebMD. I got this pain. Go to god.com. I don't know if it's .com or not, but go to God, all right? Get his input. He doesn't need an x-ray. He sees completely through everything. He'll give you what you need to know. Because many of us, we scare ourselves silly when we go try to find out what we need to know. And we're looking to man to give us the information. God will never scare you. He'll inform you. And then he'll assist you and be with you to be able to overcome anything you face. But this abiding... This abiding is to be present and to wait on him. And we, we wait on a lot of things, but I'm telling you, if we don't take time to wait on the Lord, we're not going to have what God has for us. This abiding is a connecting. And when we, we begin to move towards God and we connect with God, he says the result is, abide in me and I in you. All of a sudden, we begin to open up even more volume for God to be able to fill our lives. And I don't know about you, but I know about me. And I know I need to make more space and place for God than ever before because the battles, 
I think we can all agree on this. The battle is to come quicker, more continuous, and bigger than ever before. And, and I can't handle the battles alone. I need God. And so I need to open up myself even more to God like never before so that he can have his way in me and through me. Because he says, without me, you can do what? He can't mean that, can he? We don't want to believe that, but it's true. God never lies. Without him, we can't do anything. We can do a lot of stuff, but it amounts to nothing. That's why the people that one day are going to stand before Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these great things? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we do this? And didn't we do that? And, and he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I, I, I never told you to do that. You got busy. And we as Americans fall prey to this probably more than anybody else, but maybe the Japanese. We think busy is productive. And it's not. Sometimes busy is just busy. And it's wasteful. And it's distracting. But it makes us feel like we're being productive. And it's better to be still waiting on God than productive in the flesh. Okay. So this abiding. This abiding is so important. And in John chapter 14, verse 9 through 11, Jesus again, this is, this is something he spoke to the disciples before what we're looking at. But he said, I, he, he, Philip had asked him to show, show uh, them the Father. And he says, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. The Bible tells us Jesus came to reveal the unseen God. He was the exact likeness, representation of God the Father. Do you know that the Bible tells you that as children of God, we're supposed to be imitators of God? So that they've seen us, they've seen God. But Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you him, show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What is that? I am in the Father and the Father is in me? That's abiding. Jesus isn't just telling his disciples that they need to abide in him. Jesus showed them and was always showing them, this is what I do. I am always abiding in the Father and he is always abiding in me. How do you think Jesus did what he did? Jesus came and he lived a life like you and I do, in the flesh. He didn't live it because he was God. He was God, but he did what he did as a human being indwelt by the Spirit of God, just like you and me. And that's why he said, the works I do, you'll do in greater. I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. But I've got to be able to wrap my mind around it or at least embrace it in believing to say, you know what? There are going to be miracles that God's going to do through my life. Jesus said, I can do the works he did and greater. But it's only going to be at God's direction. I can't choose the miracles. I can't say to God today, do this miracle. Because then who's in charge? I am. And when I'm in charge, it doesn't work out well. 
Do you know another truth? When you're in charge, it works the same way. So we need to have God in charge. And it's as he wills, as he wants to do things. We have to be ready, willing, and available. Willing and obedient for whatever God has for us. And, and trusting him in the midst of it. He goes on to say, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least because of the work you've seen me do. He's saying, the things I do, the things I say, I don't do them on my own. Now, I know, I know this is a, this is a daunting task to look at. Man, I don't want to say anything but what God wants me to say. I don't want to do anything but what God wants me to do. But think about it. If what you and I do are in alignment and obedience to God, who's going to make it come to pass? God. I don't have to worry about, you know, you get an unction from Holy Spirit, go over and lay hands and pray for this person. Well, I don't know if they're going to get healed. You know what? That's not even an issue. If God told you to do it, he's going to do what he's going to do, and you don't have to be concerned about it. You just have to be obedient. But the problem with our obedience is our concern about what everybody else thinks and how they're going to see us. And that's where we have, to, we have to crucify us. We have to die to us. I have to tell you, I, I for many years was tormented, tormented by the thoughts of what people thought about me. I would die a thousand deaths because I was concerned about what everybody thought. Now, I'm not completely free of that yet, but I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. Because the Bible says when we are concerned about what people think, it's a trap. It hinders us from the freedom and liberty in Christ. Now, I'm not saying you can be a, a weirdo. But the Bible tells us we can be peculiar, which is different, unique. Wonderfully unique because we're following God. But understand, your wonderful uniqueness in God is not going to be celebrated by everybody. And you have to be okay with that. Or you're going to limit what God's able to do in you and through you. Just like I limited what God was able to do in me and through me. And still to this day, when that rises up and I get concerned about it, you know, it causes me to hesitate. And I don't want to ever hesitate with God. I want to be what God wants me to be and do what God wants me to do no matter what. The Father who lives in me does his work through me. The Father who lives in you. Every one of you is God's child. The Father lives in you by the Spirit. Jesus said, my father and I are going to come and make our abode. That's abiding, our, our abode in you, our home in you. And they do it by the Spirit of God. And that's where we come to that place where we draw near to God and God begins to start to flood our lives like never before. But when we start to get pulled away, 
when we start to get distracted, when our life begins to be divided by things, our abiding is weakened. It's, it's diminished. And the flow of God is not going to be as full and free as it would be if we didn't let those things come in and take up the place and space with God that God alone should have. But God won't make us do something else. He'll show us what needs to be done. He'll assist us, but he won't spearhead it. In Galatians 2.20, again, the Apostle Paul writes this. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live. But Christ the Messiah lives in me in the life I now live in the body. I live by faith in, by adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. Later on in this, this book, the Apostle Paul writes that we who are Christ have crucified the flesh. Now, we don't, we don't I mean, our exposure to crucifixion is pretty limited, right? Anybody seen a crucifixion recently? I hope not. But been, in those days, they saw it all the time. This was not a rarity. This was something that they saw. They would walk down the roads and see people crucified on both sides of the road. And how agonizing it was and how, how painful it was. And he's saying, I've been crucified with Christ. And later on he says, you need to crucify your flesh. I mean, if somebody told you to hit your hand with a hammer, what would be your reaction? Absolutely not. Are you out of your mind? And then if, if they said, well, there's a really good reason. It's got to be a really good reason. What's the reason? Your freedom. Your effectiveness. Your impact. And the impartation that God can have in your life. Would you smack your hand with a hammer? Some of us would say, no. No, I still wouldn't do it. But he's saying, you need to crucify your flesh. Jesus said in a much cleaner, nicer way, deny yourself. But when Paul says this, I've shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I that lives. So he was dead to himself, but he was alive to who? To God. That's why when you look at Apostle Paul's life, and many people, you know, I did this. I, I was like young in the Lord, and I was like, I want to be like Paul. So I read about Paul. And I said, God, you know that prayer I prayed? I don't want that anymore. I, I don't want to be, I don't want to be beaten with rods. I don't want to be in the deep. But God, I want to be used by you. 
But you know what? God can't use us as us until we surrender us to him. Just like Jesus did, just like Paul did. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adherence to, reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God. Nothing that we can't do, but we have to choose it. It has to be more important to us than a lot of the other things in our lives. And if it's not, God's not going to stop loving you. And if it's not, God's not going to stop using you, but we've limited how God can use us. And if we really love God, the Bible says, greater love hath no man than this, that he'd lay down his life for his friend. This third stage of abiding is not about partnership, it's about friendship. This is where we really become friends with God. We're not just doing stuff together. We're being together. Because we get so busy doing stuff for God, we forget to be with God. I wrote that in the front of my Bible before I came up here. I was a youth pastor in Mississippi. And I knew the temptation because I have this perspective. I've had this perspective in my life. The more I produce, the better I am. Now, that's been changing because I know that uh, God loves me no matter what I do. And my value to God doesn't change with my productivity. But I wrote in my Bible, don't get so busy doing for God that you forget to spend time with God. You you forget to be with God. Because what are we called? Not humans. Human what? Beings. Not human doings. Human beings. We need to be with God before we do for God. Because that has been the big problem with a lot of high-profile Christians. They're doing a lot for God. But all of a sudden, their lives just implode. Because if we're doing so much and not spending enough time with God, there is a shell without the support of us being with God and, and abiding with God that it can't stand the pressure that comes on us when we're doing things for God and things begin to happen. Because when God begins to move through your life, and he's going to, he's going to move through every person's life that has allowed God to prepare them for the work that is at hand, the biggest harvest in the history of all of earth's history, the harvest of souls is about to be, well, it's already begun, but it's going to kick into high gear very quickly. And God's looking for every one of us as Christians not to be so busy with our everyday life that we aren't eternally focused. Not so distracted and divided by all the things that are good in our lives, that are enjoyable, or even the things that have been sin in our lives, that we don't want to get rid of them, and we haven't made room enough for God to be able to move the way he wants to through you. Signs and wonders and miracles. You know, when we look back on church history, there are individuals, it's like generals, that God worked through. 
But I want you to understand, God wants to work through the body of Christ. That's every one of us. But we're the ones that determine whether we're going to allow him to do it. Many are called. As a matter of fact, everyone's called. Few are chosen. Why? Because God is a, is a respecter of persons? No, God's not a respecter of persons. Oh, because God's prejudiced? No, God's not prejudiced. You know, that's one of the things that's happening now. There are people that are saying Jesus is prejudiced. God's prejudiced. Are you kidding me? How crazy. I'm serious. This is how deceived people are becoming. It's, it's, we've been told it's going to happen, and it is. But we have to come to that place where we are allowing ourselves to be fully and completely yielded to God, that he can work the miracles through us, because if not, all of a sudden God starts doing these amazing things through you and me, and people start to take notice, and they start to gather around like they did with Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're like, can you come out here? Can you lay hands on me? Can you, can you pray for me? Can you do this? And, and what happens, humanly speaking, is oftentimes we go, because the enemy's right there whispering to you, look at how amazing you are. And people are feeding that to you. And unless we have the character of God, the humility of God, the awareness it's the grace of God, that we were saved by. It's the grace of God. It's a gift. We can't take the glory for it. Every good and perfect gift comes from who? And we, we need to be in the place where we're so abiding in God. We're so connected with God. We're so living in God, and God is living in us. We are more aware than anybody else that what's happening is God. Because we know us, and we know that wasn't us. And it happens. Man, it happens. It happens for me a lot on Sundays. People will be like, that was a great message. That was God. <laughs> I, I've said, and I mean it. If there is a great thing that happens, what's happened is I've been able to get out of, out of the way enough for God to have his way. Because he'll use any vessel. But I want him to have his way. We should all want God to have his way because God's way is the best way. Then it goes on to say, I live by faith, adherence, reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Therefore, I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, the unmerited favor of God. We've got to be aware. Can we nullify the grace of God in our lives? Yes. Can we invalidate the grace of God? Yes. And we need to be aware that that's not what we want to do. So we have to be intentional in yielding and giving our lives to God. And what is grace? Grace is what you're saved by. 
But it's what we have to live every day by. It's the empowering presence of God that causes us to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. Without the grace of God, it's impossible for us to do God's will. We can't do God's will in our own effort, in our own ability. It's got to be the grace of God. And God resists the proud, but what's he give grace to? The humble. The humble. Again, this is, this is part of that fruit that's developed in our life, the fruit of the Spirit. And as that happens, our impact doesn't just occur within our, the realm of our lives. It occurs all the way around. Like Jesus said, you're going to be my ambassadors. You're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this. This is part of that teaching that began in John chapter 15. In the New Living Translation, Jesus Still on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who ever believe in me. Who is that? That's you. That's us. That's the people that came before us and are coming after us. It's everyone that's going to believe. Jesus is praying. Ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one just as I just as you and I are one, talking about the Father, as you and I are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be one in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Again, this is abiding. This is talking about Jesus abiding in the Father and the Father abiding in him and us abiding in Jesus and Jesus and the Father abiding in us. This means we are Filled with and surrounded by God. Now, if we're filled with and surrounded by God, how safe are we? How secure are we? Absolutely. And how much do we need God to protect us, to guide us, to govern us, to provide for us? Man, we can't do this without him. It's going to be just like in the garden. He told Adam and Eve, because of sin, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to till the soil. By your effort, and it's going to be debilitating. It is going to be exhausting. You know, the Bible tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, which is easy, and my burden, which is light, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. When he's saying he's gentle and humble in heart, he's saying, I'm abiding in God. When you come to me, you begin to abide in me, and God begins to abide in you, and there's a work that, that only God can do that is supernatural and exceeding anything you could imagine or dream. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know about you. But I believe every child of God wants God to do great things in their lives and through their lives. It goes on to say in, in verse, the next verse, I have given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. 
I am in them, you are in me, they are, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me, that you love them as much as you love me. Again, this is all about abiding. All about abiding. All of a sudden, there's this fruit in our lives, this massive amount of fruit. The character of God, the power of God, the, the influence of God in our lives. That they may experience such perfect unity. It takes abiding in God for us to be united the way God has for us to be. The Bible tells us to endeavor, work, to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How much work is it with some people for you to stay united with them? Don't poke anybody. But it's tough sometimes. And sometimes it's beyond our ability. But God is able to make us able. As we abide, as we stay connected, that love of God begins to flow in our lives for that person, no matter what they do. And we love them. We love God. We love our neighbor. We love ourselves. We love our enemies because of the abiding flow of God's love in us. Because we've chosen to make that connection secure and full and unhindered. That we would experience perfect unity. That the world would know. That God the Father sent the Son. And the world would know that they are loved as much by him as Jesus was loved by him. That's what the world needs to know. Not that they're going to hell, but God loves them. God wants the best for them, but they can't. We can't. None of us can have the best unless we're willing to have God have his way in our lives. Because the only best way is God's way. Abiding is necessary. It's something we've got to fight for. And it's an everyday fight. All three of these stages are everyday stages. They're things that are occurring in our life every day. He's going to point out sin that's active so that we can get rid of it so death isn't working. He's going to point out and begin to prune the things that are distracting us and dividing our resources and drawing us away. And then we need to just begin to move towards God like never before. I've been praying so much that the body of Christ, that I, and I pray for all of us, the body of Christ, I figure if I can pray for this group, I can pray for the body of Christ. Because God can do it in one or all of us if we let him. But I'm praying that we would hunger and thirst after righteousness. That we would desire God more than we desire anything else. That there, we would recognize that there's nothing in our lives that bring life like God does. And we would be willing to totally surrender and submit to God, to his word and to his spirit, and then begin to experience the supernatural, abundant life flow of God, the power of God in our lives to impact the people around us. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, I'm, I'm just quickly looking around and I don't see anybody here that I am unaware has a relationship with the Lord. If you, if you are unsure whether 
Jesus is your Lord or not, please see me after service. But because of that, I just want to do something right now, which is, again, pause. This needs to become a real part of our life where we pause right now. Not thinking about lunch, not thinking about anything else, but being available to hear from God. You know, many times we don't hear from God because we spend a lot of time praying, telling God about all the things we want to tell Him. And as soon as we're done talking, we bolt. And that's the time God gets to talk. So right now, God, we need to hear from you. If we didn't get it the first time, remind us what it is that you had for us here today. And Father, we don't want it to just be information. So Holy Spirit, we need you to help this become real, relatable, revelation in our lives. And Father, with that understanding, we, we recognize our part starts to kick in. Help us understand how the application of this needs to be in our lives. You'll show us, you'll impart to us, but Father, we have to apply it so that we'll experience transformation and go from glory to glory. Father, we thank you for working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. Continue to guide us and govern us and guard us even as we go from this place tomorrow, this afternoon, every day of the week, every situation we find ourselves in. Father, we, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from you, from your mouth. We thank you. We thank you for Holy Spirit reminding us of your word. Help us to hunger and thirst after righteousness and desire the sincere milk of your word and meat of your word that we would grow in your grace and in your knowledge. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?